Welcome to today's BCOG online podcast episode. These weekly sermons are a part of the growing online ministry of God. Buford Church of God is a growing multi-campus and multicultural Pentecostal church north of Atlanta. We are reaching people around the world to see lives transformed through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in with us and enjoy today's episode with Senior Pastor Joey Grizzle. Please remain standing, 2 Kings chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he had leprosy. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Look at verse 9. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious, went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me. Stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Say amen at the reading of God's word. You may be seated. This story is very interesting to me. Before I dive into it, let me talk to the Bible nerds. I know there's three of us here, and I want to talk to you, and then I'll get to everybody else in a minute. There's a lot of theology that's accomplished here, and I want to talk about the theology of these verses before I dive into the sermon. So my apologies for being boring for just a minute. Just doodle on your cell phone, whatever you do, to pass the time. (laughs) There are two themes in this passage that are theological in implication. If you're going to study the Word of God, the first thing that you want to do is is make sure that you notice words that jump off the page and are consistent through the story. And in this particular story, there is a word that's used in three different moments. Number one is when he first heard of Elisha. The second is when he is approached by a servant from the house. And then the last when he was confronted And that is servants. 
Three times in this story, God uses a servant to bring the word to this mighty man of valor. It's important for you to see that because God wants you to notice. If I were to preach a sermon just on this part, I would say your miracle is on your payroll. There are a lot of people who cannot hear from God because the word is coming to them through people they consider beneath them. And you have closed so many doors to people who are beneath you that God can't speak to you and you're dying of your leprosy simply because you don't have anybody in those other places of your life that actually love you. One thing we can say about Naaman is Naaman had people on his payroll that loved him and cared for him. There were people in his life. Now, I'm going to get on a soapbox for a minute. There are a lot of Christians who come to church. You read your Bibles, you come to the altar, and you are an absolute jerk at the restaurant. Now, I'm going to park it here for a minute. Because the word's getting out about Buford Church of God, and we're starting to tell everybody, and I don't want you going to the restaurant and being the worst tipper that girl has all day long. <laughs> and I know this seems a little humorous. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm downright offended that God's people would be called stingy because of you. When you go into that place of service, you stop treating those people rudely because your word may be coming from servants that are in your life and you're too rude to hear it. Your next word may be the auto mechanic. Your next word may be making the fries at Chick-fil-A. Your next word may be that waiter or waitress at the restaurant but you're so busy being offensive to everybody you consider beneath you that you're not able to get God's word flowing through all of the relationships in your life what I like about Naaman is he had cultivated relationships with people that he didn't owe anything to they were there to serve him and yet they also loved him so as you go out into the community, sometimes the best place that you can show kindness are those people that are delivering your mail to your mailbox, the people who are driving the truck to deliver your goods to your house. Somebody talk to me. That person that's waiting on your table, working on your car, doing your taxes, the little girl that's behind that register today at Publix, why don't you take just one second out of your life and smile at her and tell her that God loves her because there are people in your life that have a word for you and they want to help you, but they can't because you're so rude you shut the door. The second theological point that's I hope you picked up on it while I read it but the Bible says that God gave this Syrian commander victory on the battlefield the Lord had blessed his life and if you're not careful you let that go right by you because you believe the soft bigotry of the gospels is actually the truth of the Old Testament 
that their interpretation of God is somehow the truth about God. That in the Old Testament, he didn't care about anybody except the Jews. That has never been true. The covenant with Abraham was not just that God would bless Abraham. It was that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. God did not wait until John 3, 16 to start loving the whole world. God has always loved the whole world. He has always had a plan to save and redeem all of humanity. This story flies in the face of the soft bigotry that tosses out the Old Testament as irrelevant to the study of the New Testament believer because it was under the shadow of misinterpretation and the guise of racism. I bind that spirit in the name of Jesus. It wasn't true then and it's not true now. The Bible has never been racist. It has never been bigoted. It has never pushed women out of the uh, out of the places of fellowship. God has always loved everybody. So whether you're a servant or a Syrian, this story is for you. There's a lot of people that feel like you can't come the church you can't worship because you're just a servant or maybe you're a Syrian that doesn't understand all of the Christian ease that goes on in the church I promise you there's a place for you at the king's table God has a word for you it may sound far into your ears but before this service is over God is going to speak a word into your life so this Syrian this mighty man of valor he was a mighty man of valor but but he had leprosy. See, there's a problem with a lot of people. You, you have these great resumes, and then you have a but attached to your name. Well, he's a great man in church, but he's a drunk. She is a great worshiper at church, but don't give her the checkbook. He is a wonderful person when it comes to fighting against the devil. But he can't stop using profanity when he gets angry. They are great people, but they are hateful one toward another. That's a great church, but don't get involved with business meetings. Those are great worshipers. But don't let them serve, be served at the table at the restaurant because they won't tip you. There's a lot of great people and you think your resume is what everybody's talking about. They're not talking about your resume. They're talking about your leprosy. You will not have a legacy of valor. You're going to have a legacy of leprosy. Kind of like Mike Tyson. I was watching an interview with him. So, Mr. Tyson, what's your favorite color? Where do you like to eat? I thought to myself, nobody cares. We only have two questions. Number one, why'd you bite his ear off? Number two, who told you that putting a tattoo on your face was a good idea? <laughs> you, you may want them to talk about everything else, but they're not going to do that. You have something wrong with you. 
And there are very few churches that preach what I'm about to say. In this house, we don't want you in the armor of success while dying of the decay of sin. We don't want to put trophies in your trophy case and let everybody applaud you while you're on a highway to hell. In this house, we still believe in sanctification. We still believe in being saved to the uttermost. We still believe that God doesn't want you to leave here like you came in Jesus' name. We believe that God wants to push that sin out of your life and replace it with love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, long-suffering. God wants to give you the keys to the kingdom, but he can't do that until he gets rid of the leprosy in your soul. Something's wrong with you. You're fatally flawed. You want everybody to see you on Facebook or on your social media outlet. Posing with your new friends. And the only thing they're thinking while they see all of your new poses is, yeah, but. They don't really care about this or they're sick this way or they have this issue in their life. Rahab great-great-grandmother of King David himself in the lineage of Jesus Christ when introduced by Paul in the halls of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 introduces her as Rahab the whore. You have a problem when you go to God. God will not adjust one inch the truth about you. He will call you what you are and he will put his finger in the places that you don't want the glory of God to be manifest in your mind and your heart and your spirit because he will not ignore that something is terribly flawed about you. Now truthfully, you wouldn't be here if something wasn't a little wrong with you. You're a Buford Church of God. If you were all put together you would go down there and fake it with the rest of those people that look put together. To be able to sit here, oh, Pastor, nothing's wrong with me. Yeah, you, yes, there is. Some of you have issues. Some of you used to have serious issues. Some of you just a little crazy. Some maybe a whole lot crazy. And that's just the choir. Pastor Bob's not here, so don't tell him what I just said. And if you're watching live, Pastor Bob, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. So he got excited, went to the king, said, this young girl said, if I would go to this prophet, then I would be healed. So they got the limousine ready. They put the gold and the glitter. They got the first class tickets. They had everything put together. He pulls up in his fine limousine. He has the bling on his fingers. He has the clothes on. He's walking up as this commander in the army. And Elisha doesn't even answer the door. That rude, inconsiderate, Servant of Elisha, um, he's busy, but he said, if you would go wash in the Jordan, go back the way you came, dip in that water seven times, you'll be healed. 
Let me tell you something. Two things are going to happen when God's going to heal your life. You ready for this? Number one, he will send you to somebody who's not impressed with you. You're not impressive to everybody. There are some people smarter, faster, stronger, closer to God than you that when they meet you, you're not impressive. And when God wants to heal you, he will put you in that person's life. And then God will do the second thing that he often does when he wants to change you. He will offend you. He knows what gets you angry. Because God will always give you the temptation to walk away right before he offers the miracle of healing. And you will be shocked at how tempting it will be to get away from him. To remove yourself from that conversation. To run as fast as you can away from the one person that God put in your life who's not going to applaud when you have leprosy. They're not worried about your gold. They're not worried about your education. They don't even care about your friends. They may not even send a word directly to you. They might send it through someone else. But I promise you, if you can get over the offense, God has a miracle waiting on you. Naaman failed the test in the first round. Well... I said to myself, surely he will come out and wave his hand over me, over the place where I'm sick. Two problems with that. Number one, why are you talking to yourself? What makes you think that you in a conversation with you equals intelligence? Never think that you know how God is going to fix you. You're going to go in there and God's going to start doing something. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up, God. I don't need surgery there. I won't. Let me show you how to do your job. God, God's not in the business of taking instruction from you. He's going to approach you and say, no, stop that. Change this, go this way, and you're going to either hear that instruction and be healed or you're going to run away from the person who gave it. But mark my word, your problem is you're talking too long and too much to you. You have a conversation going on in your head. Some people don't just have conversations going on in their head. They also hear music. It's like they're in the sound of music at all times. Your whole life is a movie reel and you're talking to you and you're having... I've seen you at the red light. Who are you talking to? And the second business, I thought he'd wave his hands over me. Why do we have to wave our hands over what's wrong with you? Is this too rough? Am I, do I look angry? So many people... They get offended at the church because we didn't handle your sin right. Well, I know that I was, I was 
you know, on drugs and stuff, and I got in a fight there. But y'all should have, what you should have done was you should have come to my house and brought me some banana nut bread and, and come over there and sat down and let me eat the banana nut bread, and, and then I would have been all right. Listen, why is it our job to read your mind and to wave our hands over areas that are in your life? We don't do that. We lay our hands on you as the scripture says, but we can't get involved with, with all the stupid places in people's lives. It's, 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 truthfully, do you really want us to, to figure out what's really wrong with you? You don't. You'd have to sit here knowing that we know then. I heard somebody say, I can't go to that church. People will talk about me. Look, you haven't been to our church lately. Whatever your story is, it's not half as good as the stories that are already here. We're not talking about them, and we're not going to talk about you. Oh, you don't know what I'm going through. Listen, I know what all of them have gone through. Had it not been for the Lord that was on their side, half this crowd would be somewhere besides here. Prison, graves, <laughs> crack house. Somebody talk to them. <laughs> but thanks be unto God. <laughs> Wave their hand over me. Mm. How about it, children of the 80s? You know that reference, don't you? Wave at, yeah, talk to me. <laughs> Wave there. Randy, my brother, we had a foot washing at Dad's church one Sunday night. Dad made us all go in there and take a bath, get ready, get cleaned up. We went in there to the uh, foot washing. We put our foot in, in the pan. Somebody going to wash our feet. We was washing each other's feet. Randy put his feet in that water, and the water turned black. <laughs> Not brown, black. Stuff floating in it. <laughs> Dad went over to where we're all praying, crying. We're <laughs> I think it was Bill Parks looking down at Randy's feet. Randy said, what, what are you doing? Why did you, why did you do this? He said, well, you said we were washing feet. I thought I'd bring them something to wash. We lived on a farm. Chickens. Cows, horses, dirt roads, no shoes. Randy, when he took his bath, hung his feet over the side of the tub just so he could bring dirty feet to the foot washing. And that's what a lot of you do to us. You want us to wave hands over what God should be cleaning up in your life. 
Why should we have to get involved with the nasty places in your life just because you need attention? That's called narcissism, not Christianity. When you come to the house of God, you take it to the river. You dip in that river till you come up sanctified and God blesses your life and heals you from what plagued you before you came in. Somebody talk to me. People cannot solve your problem. It will be the water of God's provision that solves your problem. There's better rivers where I came from. I don't want to dip no nasty river. You know the cost of dignity? Leprosy. You can keep your dignity if you agree to keep your leprosy. I do need to apologize. I see everybody working hard today. I think you guys, the seating arrangement has changed. Everybody's having a tough time seeing me while I'm down here on these steps. All these heads are poking out trying to... There's five new people that have started coming to the church, and I mean, they have a head like the Kool-Aid man. And so, just hard. I told you, before he heals you, he's going to offend you. Yeah, I don't want to dip no nasty river. Keep your dignity. But you'll keep your leprosy. You too dignified? First of all, if you're dignified, what are you doing here? This is not the dignified church. In this church, there is no dignity left. We are here because we were not dignified. We were desperate. We didn't have a cute little life put together. Somebody talk to me. We didn't get raised in these little perfect situations with all this money and all this prestige and all these wonderful friends. We had to come up the rough side of the mountain. Had it not been for the Lord who was on our side, we'd already be shipwrecked. But thanks be unto God, we lost our dignity a long time ago, and we weren't, we weren't ashamed to do what he told us to do. No, sir, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. I didn't come in here to keep my dignity. I came in here to lose my leprosy. And if my leprosy cost me my dignity, I don't care. My dignity died a long time ago. It was crucified on Calvary's cross. And God gave me the ability to walk away from that humiliation, to walk away free and clean with my name written down in the Lamb's book of life. Thank God for the death of dignity. Hallelujah. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I didn't want to go on television. My apologies. Edit that out of the television broadcast. <laughs> I didn't want to go on television. And, and Are we live right now? Wave. We are live right now. <laughs> Truthfully, I didn't want to go live. And I had a theological position on it. Seriously, it's great. It's great theology. Listen to this logic. I said that worship is like the intimacy of a relationship. You invite the presence of the Holy Spirit in, and then you embarrass him by going public with what should remain private. And that oftentimes we grieve the Holy Spirit because we publicly humiliate him rather than offer the intimacy of worship 
that can only be experienced when you're with us in the congregation. Sorry, y'all can't see me when I go. I've got my platform shoes on too. I'm standing up here as tall as I can be. You know what God said to me? He said, son, they stripped me with no clothes on. They crucified me on a cross. I bled and died humiliated right there in front of the whole town and my own mother. I'm not the one that's ashamed. You are. So I get up here, I roll around on the floor, I cry. My high school friends are watching this. They are. They're commenting on it. It's going out to all those people and they're thinking, oh, look what happened to Grizzle. He's lost his mind. I knew something was But I have decided, had it not been for Jesus. See, 2,000 years ago, he got undignified for me. 2,000 years ago, he took his love for me and embarrassed himself dying for me on a hill called Calvary. And if he could do that for me, the least I can do is enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. If 2,000 years ago, he lifted his hands for me, the least I can do is lift my hands for him in the sanctuary. If 2,000 years ago, he lifted his voice for me, the least I can do is stand up and glorify and magnify his name. Yeah. And if you think this is bad, in the words of King David, I will be even more undignified than this. I didn't come in here to preserve my dignity. I came in the house with my mind made up. I'm going to praise my God. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter his courts with praise. Let my praise be as big as my God. Hallelujah. 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 The problem is God doesn't send you a miracle. You know what he sends you? Instructions. You wanted God to wave his hand over you and that be the end of it. God doesn't do that. God gives you instruction because your healing is on the other side of your obedience. You will be obligated to do what God has instructed you to do before he releases the power that you crave to heal your life. You wanted a miracle. He gave you instruction. But thanks be unto God, the servants of the house are the heroes of the story. For they confronted this mighty man of valor. And they said, look, if he'd have told you to do something cool, you'd have done it. So how much more? I mean, ain't nobody going to watch. Look, we'll turn around. We won't even look. Just, please forgive me. This is coming to me. It's a terrible way to say it. Should not be said this way. Naaman was a mighty man of valor, but he had leprosy. A lot of great people have a but. And nobody's talking about your greatness. They're talking about your but. Naaman was great, but he had leprosy. And what God wants you to do is get your butt in the river. 
You hard-headed, stubborn, stuck in your ways, won't listen. I'm telling you, the prophet told you to take your leprosy to the river, and it's high time you get off your seat of dignity, off your pride, and off of your conceit, and take your butt to the river and dip down seven times. You're not going to be cleansed until you obey. Does it matter what he said to do? We've all had to do things we thought were crazy. Somebody talk to me. Just obey God. Do what God told you to do. I don't know who that was for, but you just forced me to embarrass myself. Get in the river. Look, if he had told you to do something great, wouldn't you do it? Why would you just get in the river? Look, we won't even watch. Go ahead. Stupid prophet making me do all this stuff. Dip down muddy river, feet sinking up in the mud. Parts of the Jordan are filthy. You know, he's having to dip down. Immersion, too. Couldn't sprinkle. Dip. You can't just get halfway in the water. He's not talking about splashing with your feet. Somebody talk to me. Testing it. Do we do little fingers? No, sir. You're getting in. You're already here. Might as well get in. Come on, church. You dressed up. You drove over here. You might as well jump in the water. You might as well go ahead and get all wet so that when you leave this house, you'll be wet from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet because you didn't come to church to get halfway in the water or to get half of a miracle because partial obedience will turn into disobedience and you'll never have healing in your life. If God said seven, three won't cut it. One's not going to make it happen. You're not going to get any feeling. You're not going to get an emotional high until you go underwater that seventh time. Seven times you're going to feel stupid. Seven times you're going, like this is the water. All right, here we go. We're going down. Here it is. Yeah, you're going to feel stupid. This better work because I don't know why I'm having to do all this for this crowd while I'm going live. Two, one, two. Don't lose count. One of you guys keep count. You know how I am. I'm not going eight times. I'm going seven. Just here we go. Feeling stupid, coming to church, hanging on. People call out the numbers while I'm going to tell me to shout. I don't want to shout. Pastor Todd making me sing 400 songs 300 times. You got to say it over and over and over again. We get it. I've been set free, delivered. Now the preacher going to make me say all this stuff, do all this stuff. I got to stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, lift my hands, shout hallelujah. I don't know why in the world I got to get all the way in the river. Tell me. I guarantee you something happened. Because you don't get healed unless God touches you. So while they're going down in the water, there's something different on that seventh time. He can feel the power of the Holy Ghost in his body. We know it changed his life. It changed his mind. I'm telling you, if you'll go down and do what God told you to do when you rise from the water of your own humiliation, 
you'll be cleansed from your leprosy. Somebody give God praise. Give God praise. Give God praise. Give God praise. Come on, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Seven times. God healed my grandfather again. He's almost 90 years old. He has reached his miracle quota. No person should have as many miracles as he's had in his life. I'm serious. Watching what God has done in him has been a testimony of faith. Diagnosed him with pancreatic cancer. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Colon cancer. And it was already in his lymphatic system. Only gave him a short period of time to live. Came down to the altar of my daddy's church in Oakwood. God touched him. He danced all over the front of that church. Doctor called him a few weeks later said, Junior, you done skipped your last few sessions of your therapy. You need to get down here and let us finish this therapy. Nope, not coming. Good Lord's done healed me. And that stuff you're giving me breaks me out in a rash. That was 20 years ago. Right? Healed in my dad's church, but every day my dad would call him on the phone and read scriptures to him, and they would pray healing prayers over his life. And somewhere along the way in that obedience, God healed my granddaddy. Well, just a few days ago, he was there at the breakfast table, dropped his food. Paralysis in his face. He stopped talking. Stopped responding. They took him to the hospital. Couldn't speak. So much blood on his brain. His brain was dislocated from the sheer volume of blood in his skull. 90 years old, practically just a few months away from 90 years old. Wouldn't let us get in there to see him. Finally, they let dad sneak in there. Dad laid his hands on him, started praying, asked God to heal him. When dad finished praying, my granddaddy started pulling wires off. (laughs) Immediately. Dad said to his dad, what are you doing? He said, I'm pulling these wires out. I don't need them. Now he's over there at the hospital complaining about the food. (laughs) Not having the room that he wants with the mountain view. Nothing but trouble. You know why grizzles get miracles? Because we lost our dignity a long time ago. We don't care where we are. We're going to call on God's name. 
We know of families that would rather have their relative die than to have you embarrass them in a hospital. But see, in this house, listen to me, Pentecostals are not processed people. We believe in process. We know it takes some time to get some stuff, but that's not why we're here. We believe in suddenlies. Matter of fact, our denomination was founded in Acts chapter 2 when they were all in one mind and one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. We believe if you come in drunk, you can leave sober. We believe if you come in broken, you can be healed. You can walk in depressed and leave dancing. We believe that God can touch you and raise you up and heal you because I know this is true because my grandfather is alive because my dad had the courage to call on God's name in the hospital and have faith that God would heal. I ask God to bless you in the city and bless you in the field. Bless you when you rise and when you lay down at night. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. Make his face shine on you and give you peace. I pray that the Lord give you beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. A garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. May you be called trees of righteousness, the planting in the garden of God. May God overwhelm you with his love. I pray that the Lord embarrass you with favor and anointing. May each of you get the image in your mind of what God is, says is true about himself, that while you're asleep tonight, he's singing over you as he wraps his arms around you and gives you peace. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm on your face and the rains fall softly on your fields. And until we meet again, May God hold you in the hollow of his hand. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next Sunday. We hope you enjoyed Pastor Joey's word today. To find out more about our ministry, visit bcog.me. Our services are live streamed weekly on Sundays at 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you have any questions, you can talk to one of our pastors anytime via bcog.me messenger. See you again in the next podcast episode.